think it's a wonderful picture. And that's only a little bit. Um, I, I've been there, and over the years, it's changed even uh, in uh, <clears throat> the ministry <clears throat> and also in the people. Todd went out with uh, Chris Brackett, Walter Heaton, and uh, Mishko Horvatek, who was actually from uh, Yugoslavia, okay, then came to seminary. He and I were students together. That's how old he is. <clears throat> uh, but Mishko was, um, went back there. He had been uh, in Yugoslavia when he was communist and obviously was in jail because he was a Christian. That's what happens. Things change. Speaking of that, uh, a few years ago, I had been invited to go to Samar, Russia. I don't mean to stomp on Croatia right now, but I was uh, invited to go to Samar, Russia to teach at the seminary there, to teach at the church. Uh, they actually had me do a women's conference. I don't know why they invited me, but I was going. Uh, I didn't really know all of the implications of going to Russia to, to speak there as an American Christian uh, that's coming there to teach. Uh, I, I was sent all of this paperwork that you had to fill out. I mean, it's gads and gads and gads of paperwork that you had to fill out to get your visa and all of those kinds of things. It was complicated, and I'm glad there were some guys here who had already done it that was able to help me. One of the questions on the, the uh, application was, who is the name of my first boss? Folks, he'd been dead for four decades. What do you need his name for? But they, they wanted it, so I gave him a name. And, um, but nevertheless... We filled all of that out. I arrived, Moscow, got off the plane, which you don't get, you go in right into the airport, you get to deplane onto the tarmac, and it was minus 30 degrees. So I knew I was in a different kind of environment. Uh, I knew I was going to see this as a different kind of opportunity. And one of our seminary graduates, <clears throat> and so while I stayed with a seminary graduate, I'm asking him all kinds of questions. I said, well, do you drive in Russia? You know, I mean, do you have a car? He said, I did in the beginning. And I said, well, why don't you have one now? He said, because the authorities found a way almost every day to give me a ticket. They would actually cover my tags and say I didn't have my tags on. They would actually rip them off. They would change the numbers on it. They would do all kinds of things to give them a ticket every day. It was harassment, folks. That was just what you live with there. And so... Uh, I said, uh, how do you get to work now? How do you get into the seminary now? He says, the Mashuka. So we get on the Mashuka. I said, I want to understand that. That's a small bus with 7,000 people on it. <clears throat> <clears throat> he did say to me, hold on to your wallet when you go in. <laughs> so all of this is a ministry there. Um, there is just a campaign, a basic campaign to make the American's life more difficult. They wanted to make Americans' life more difficult in Russia. That's what they wanted to do. Uh, they um, uh, periodically had the heat go off in the apartment. So you can imagine if it's 30 degrees minus outside, what it then turns to inside. They would periodically um, shut off the hot water, all of those kinds of things. It was not an easy place to do ministry. It seemed like over and over again there was another roadblock for them. One day when I was teaching there... The authorities came into the church, into the seminary where I was teaching, and uh, they said they had a report of a bomb on the premises and that they needed to make a, uh, uh, take a look at it. Certainly that was not true, but was an opportunity. 
an opportunity for them in three feet of snow, an opportunity to go through the offices to check on things that maybe they need and they, maybe they want. They'd even steal computers at times. Um, they took books. They looked at all of the paperwork that's in there. As we're going out, one of the teachers said to me, don't talk. I'm going, well, what am I going to do now? I can't talk out here. It's uh, too cold anyway. But I didn't say a word, and then I later found out the reason that I was told not to speak is that if they heard in English, they would take everybody downtown. <laughs> the authorities would. What is he doing here when there's a bomb in there? And there's no bomb, but it's just an opportunity that they could go on. Today, we have no American missionaries in Samara, Russia. The window of opportunity is gone. But there was a window of opportunity, and that window of opportunity brought forth two seminaries. We have seminary graduates from masters. Matter of fact, two of them that went, were in faith builders when they went to seminary, um, uh, Alexei Propenko and Sasha, and they, they're out there and they're doing work in that, minis, in that missionary uh, uh, teaching others. And they're also pastors of churches. And so it's just incredible it's gone on. It keeps going on. Even though we don't send Americans there, and, and we can't just uh, do that generally, there are other countries that once had an opportunity. Uh, I think of India. I, I love India. I, I would go there at a drop of a hat. Those opportunities have shrunk. Matter of fact, I spoke to Sam, uh, Sammy and Chris Williams when they were in town, and they said, no, they still don't want you in town. And I, I mean, what he means by that is the Hindu government. They, they will harass you. Um, I can remember one time being there. Well, they eventually did let me go. So we're here going to talk about the city of Smyrna. Smyrna's in that first, second century area that um, we get to see a church that is just birthed and then it, it begins to grow. And we're going to look at that. So why don't you turn to Revelation chapter 2. I love to, uh, studying through this, and, and I'm even loving the next one, which I'm not going to get to do for a few more weeks, but uh, I'm studying through this, and I read this passage, and I'm going, I'm asking myself all kinds of questions. But let's, uh, let's look at it together. And in Smyrna is um, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, and you are rich, and the blessed suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Some of the background of this city here, Smyrna. Just so you get an idea of the, of the picture, we talked about Ephesus last week. We told you about it. It's being on the coast. It was in a, a beautiful harbor. It's no longer a harbor because all the silt has filled it up and all of those kinds of things. But Smyrna got its name because of a particular thorn bush or tree that was growing in the area, and they would take that covering there, and they would, uh, uh, some of you may remember where that you have heard myrrh from, 
You've heard that because it was used in the other areas of the Bible. We'll get to that in a little while. Alexander the Great rebuilt that city in 334 BC. He was Greek, but he rebuilt that city because it had been destroyed by various wars over and over again. That's what happened in those, those days. Proudly, though, the city of Smyrna is known as a paradise of municipal vanity. In other words, people think pretty highly of themselves in that city. They think they've got a pretty good thing going on. It would be like somebody from New York. <laughs> I knew you couldn't wait till I said that, so I had to say it. Also, it would be uh, called the Crown of Asia. That was another thing that was a uh, title that it was given. Smyrna was exactly, well, not exactly. It's 35 miles north of Ephesus. Some people said 40, but I'm wondering where they took the measurements from. And it, too, was on the Aegean Sea. It, too, is on the Aegean Sea. And uh, if you know the seas there, and, and I've had the privilege of being in Croatia, you could see the, the, the various things that uh, uh, near the Mediterranean Sea. They're beautiful. Blue, I mean, absolutely crystal clear. Smyrna was the capital of satanic opposition, though. Satanic opposition to the gospel. They hated the gospel there. The name Smyrna actually means bitter. That's a, that's a really good name for that particular city. Uh, at the writing of the letter, the city was a, a large Roman city uh, with many, many, many Jewish entrepreneurs. The city had about 250,000 inhabitants, which is a, exactly what uh, Ephesus had. The city had erected all kinds of temples, not just one temple like we talked about last week, Artemis, this really temple. All these other temples were there. If there were a church of persecution, Smyrna would be that church. They killed so many Christians. They suffered at the hands of the Romans. But folks, they also suffered at the hands of the Jews as well. The Jews took advantage of this and, and obviously used it to their economic advantage. This allegiance of Rome and Jew made it more difficult for the Christian as those two became, the Christian became a uniting factor for the Roman and the Jew because they didn't like them. They didn't like what they did. They didn't like that they didn't bow down to their gods. There was a law that each year you would have to burn a pinch of incense, just a little pinch of incense to the gods, to the gods of their temples there, and then you would receive a certificate allow you to do business. Hmm. Would allow you to own property. That certificate would allow you to stay alive, basically. If you did not, then you were considered automatically a Christian if you didn't get that signing of that certificate. And then you would be killed. You could not purchase food. You could not purchase property. You could not sell property. You could not do any of those things. You were on the, the do not associate list. But that, as it seems to be the case, very often a persecuted church is a strong church. It is a growing church. And when I say growing, maybe not in numbers, but in depth of understanding of closeness to God because they were being persecuted. As a matter of fact, 115, I know that that's a little bit past what the writing of this is, but that's what would happen. And you know what? This man, who is, they consider him the leader of the church, the bishop or the elder of the church, 
the Jews in the town came along and started accusing him of being a Christian, of not wanting to bow down to the gods, and they began to say that his life needed to be taken. Put him on the cross is what they began to demand, just like Jesus they had demanded. They wanted him killed. They wanted him dead. Now, last week when we did have the overheads, and I did like doing that at least once, We had seven characteristics. This week we have six. One of them's gone, and you'll see which one is gone when we do that. There's six characteristics, six elements that we want to describe what's going on in this city. The first is the address. Just like it was last week, it's the address again, not a suggestion. When he hands them the letter, they all have their own letter. And that's why he repeats it over and over and over again. And he says in Revelation 2.8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, let me simply say it's the angel or the messenger is identified with the city. Some have even speculated that the one who brought the letter to Smyrna was Polycarp. I would think that if it were, he'd have his name written there, but he doesn't. So I, although it wasn't there, believe me, I wasn't, uh, I, I would say he's, it's not Polycarp, but somebody who's intimately involved with the church, somebody who knows the people in the church, somebody who is an elder in the church, and he cares for those people, because that's what an elder should be doing. Uh, he uses the word angel there, and it's used in all seven churches. So when, he, when do you start condemning angels? They're not demons, he's talking about angels here. So it does have to be a man. And sometimes the man can be condemned because as the leader in that church, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's not ministering the word of God to the people of God the way he's supposed to be ministering the word of God to the people of God. And so he can come under condemnation. Jesus expects us to live for him in every situation. There is a separate individual for each church because the grammar even, grammar even suggests that, that these are individuals. They're intimate with the church and, and they are leaders within the church. More than likely, this word angel means messenger. That's also what the word angel can mean. It can mean messenger. It's a special messenger. So that's the first is the attribute the attribute, and this is obviously the attribute of Jesus Christ that's going to be mentioned here, but it's the attribute. And it says in 2.8, it says, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Again, the writer of the church of the letter identifies himself as Christ the Messiah, the one who rose from the dead. Beloved, this is the attribute of Jesus Christ that was first mentioned in Revelation 1. Why don't you look at that? Revelation 1, 17 and 18. And it says there in Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Do not be afraid. I am the first and last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. This obviously is no longer, uh, is no longer more intense than the 2.8. This is longer in, in, in um, words and such. But he gets the point across, even folks. He's not there. I remember going to Israel, my first trip to Israel, and uh, the, the guy took us to the garden tomb. There are two different places where they believe that Jesus could have been um, put in the tomb. 
One is in the Church of the Assumption, and this is the Garden Tomb. And we were at the Garden Tomb. It's beautiful. I would like that to be the place where he was in the tomb, but probably not. But we get there, and uh, as I look around the, 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 the opening of the tomb, somebody says, he's not there. I got to tell you, I stopped for a moment. That, that was profound to me. Yeah, I know he's not there, but then to hear it just at that moment, no, he's not there. He's in heaven reigning. And that's what we need to, to keep in, in our minds. He is not there. He conquered. There's no reason to be afraid to die. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is added to this attribution is the clause who was dead and is alive. That's what's been added. This is basically a picture of the resurrection of the Lord. The majestic Savior of believers has risen from the dead. Boy, would that have been something to have been there that day, huh? Think about it. 1 Peter 3.18. Why don't you turn there? I think we have a little bit of time. We can look at that. 1 Peter 3.18. Peter says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all. In other words, when I was raised as a Roman Catholic, every single Mass... Jesus had to die. Did you hear that? Every single mass. Now, I don't know how I'm going to die every single time than to be raised. No, this is a symbolic, okay, for us to understand. He did die. It's already done. Don't have to keep doing it. For Jesus Christ, for Christ, also died once for sins, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And folks, if there's anybody unjust, it's you and me, that he would die for us. Pathetic sinners, pathetic selfish people, that he would die for us. I, I, I always ask, why in the world would he do that? There's no reason to do that. But that's what he did. And it continues there in 1 Peter 3.18. It says, having put to death, been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. His flesh was destroyed, but he was made alive in the spirit. Here, because we have that new life. Jesus' resurrection made it happen. Uh, Another verse that you can look at if you want to, uh, I'm going to look at it quickly here, but Romans 6, 9. And it says there, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. You would think that... A Roman Catholic would get that. It's not having to die again. Death no longer is master over him. See, his death really brought an end to the worry, to the to the being afraid of what's going to happen. By the way, if you want to look at it from this point of view, his death is actually the beginning of real life of real life, of significant life. What we have now is he's preaching the same thing in John 11, 25 and 26. You can jot that down or you can follow along with me. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, not me, but Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, see, that's, that's salvation. He who believes in Jesus 
will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The question is, do you believe this? A lot of funerals that I do, not all of them, I include this particular verse. Because the question is, do you believe? Because, you see, that's where you get started. He gives you the gift of faith, but you have to believe. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he was raised. If you don't do that, you're not really where you need to be, folks. So believe. Do you believe? I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Should there be a fear of death? No, folks. No, folks. It is interesting that Jesus uses the attribute of his dying and rising from the dead. I believe he did use this attribute because he wants to encourage the church. Why? Because many of them are dying. Many of them are being persecuted. Many of them are under, under this siege. And he knows what's going to happen to them. You see, a church that is watching its members be martyred for their faith is one that could get a little worried and, and, and want to hide out somewhere. Jesus is letting him, and then he's done it for you. He's done it for you. Here's something that's very interesting. Just a side note. You can take the bus, the tour bus, and pull it over and take a look at this. At Jesus Christ's birth, he was presented with three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Isn't that interesting? And here we have Smyrna, where you get the myrrh from. Guess what Jesus was given at his death? He was brought myrrh to the tomb for his body because he was going to be placed in the tomb. That's what they did for death. The first and the last who was dead and has come to life. So he's using all of these elements to have those people think about this. This is not just by happenstance for element number two. And element number three is the approbation. The approbation or this third element or third characteristic is found in uh, 2.9. And it says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I know your troubles. I know your paucity. I know your difficulties. I know your scantiness. He knows what they do have and what they don't have. He knows it. James 2.5 says this. Please just jot that down. Don't, Don't need to turn there. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? God didn't choose the rich. Why? Because if he chose the rich, the rich, that's what he chose. And and if you look at 1 Corinthians 1, he he did not choose the bold, he did not choose the smart, and all of that kind of stuff. No, he chose what he wanted to choose. Friends, in the early church era, Christians were tolerated by Rome. Did you hear that? In the early church, Christians were tolerated by Rome for this reason. In the beginning, Christians were seen as some kind of offshoot of Judaism. They were under the protective wing of Judaism, 
because Rome tolerated Judaism. When it became clear that Christianity was not like Judaism, they were then persecuted. You see, Judaism didn't have any problem burning incense to the gods of the uh, uh, Greeks. Didn't have any, uh, any problem burning the, 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 of the... You see, that they saw this, and this is the way they would answer it. They would say, it's a tax to the government, and we just want to fulfill what the government wants. And so that's why they did that. But in essence, they were worshiping a pagan god. That's what the Jews did. The Christians come along, which at first they're seen as, as being a subset of the Jews, and they're not going to do it. I am not bowing my knee to the Roman gods. Christian could not do that. They could not accept that. And guess what? They wouldn't be accepted. They would be persecuted. The Christian could not compromise God's standard. The Christian did not want to compromise God's standard. The Christian could not bow a knee to the government. I was built on pagan worship, idolatry, and, and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Even out the, the German Nazis coming into Poland and, and they took away um, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the issue of the Jews being protected there in the government. And they said to the Christians or Catholics or non-Jews, uh, you can do whatever you want to them. You can do whatever you want to them in this part of the country. It was an experiment to see what would happen. Within a week, wasn't a Jew left. Within a week, Jews did not have any businesses. Nothing like that. So they came in and they destroyed them. That's exactly what's happen happening here. When you don't bow the knee to that government, this is what they're going to do. They're going to confiscate your property. You can't sell it. You can't buy it. You can't do any of that. That's what verse 9 says here. I know your tribulations and your poverty. They had nothing left. They lost jobs. They lost property. lost value. Food, even. In this environment, the Christian was left economically bankrupt. But they were still spiritually rich. They were still spiritually rich. See, the opposite actually happens in Laodicea. Why don't we just jump ahead, Revelation 3.17, and see what this church, which is condemned, and see what it says there in 3.17. Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind. Why? Because they do the deeds of Satan. They don't even know that they're blind. They don't even know that they're naked. But they're rich. They've got The church in Smyrna, also the church in Philadelphia, we'll look at in a few weeks, were the smallest churches in the book of Revelation, of these churches. They were also the most faithful churches, faithful to the things of God. These were also the most persecuted now, that doesn't mean that because you have a small church, you have a good church. There could be other reasons why you're a small church. But these folks were the most faithful of the, of the churches. 
Jesus says, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, and I know your blasphemy, the slander by those who say. Today, some would not say this is a blessed church. Where's their prosperity? How are they making it? I mean, we get lots of... But folks, that is exactly why they are blessed. Is because they don't have much. How can you say blessed if you have tribulation? How can you say blessed if you have poverty? How can you say blessed if you have slander that's thrown at you? I say you must be doing something right. That's what I believe. You must be doing something right. You see, the enemy is only going to raise their voices at people who are doing something right. That's what's going to happen. The enemy's in opposition. They're going to be into attack. They are being attacked by those who at one point called themselves brothers, even. That's what that section means there. Look at it. Um, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the blasphemy of those who say that they're being attacked by them. They're called brothers, but actually in, they are the synagogue of Satan. They are the synagogue of, of Satan. They have shown their true colors, folks. They are considered emissaries of Satan. That's what they are. On Tuesday evening when I was teaching, you were there. I, or were you on the Zoom? Zoom, Okay. I don't know half of the people that's in there. That bothers me because I like to minister to folks, but that's okay. On Tuesday evening, I was teaching on the counseling class on suffering and grief. I, as I was teaching, I came to Philippians chapter 10, uh, 3.10. If I came to Philippians 10, then you're in trouble. But Philippians 3.10, and, and, and it says this, and that I may know him and the power of his rent to his death. Paul is even asking for it. I want the sufferings. Give them to me. Why? Because then I know the fellowship of Christ. I, I, I mean, this is just absolutely, I, I, I don't know, I, I hesitated. I know when I was teaching it because I said, this is good. I need this for Sunday morning. <laughs> Suffering brings you into a closer fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If everything is good and comfortable, do you find yourself running to the Bible? Do you, when you have everything without need, do you find yourself going to the place where you can get an answer? Well, you've got all the answers. You don't need anything. Folks, that was warm to my heart. It is a good thing to have this tribulation, is what he's saying here, because you turn to Jesus Christ because there's nowhere else to go. They can't depend upon their money. They can't depend upon their job. They can't depend upon their position. They don't have any of that. They have nothing. It's gone. The Jews here, and I need to point this out, were blaspheming or slandering the believers. In other words, they were running off to the authorities and saying, oh, do you know what they're doing? They're not worshiping the gods of Rome. And, and they would be telling them that. They were taking advantage of the Christian. Oh, this one over there and this one over there. You know, they, they put a, a sign up on your lawn or something. They slandered the believer. 
and they slandered them to take their business away from them and to point to the Roman soldiers and the Roman authorities their disloyalty as citizens and that they considered citizens. That's what they did. Folks, in a sense, it's really no different today. Think about it. Mainstream Christianity, which you wouldn't even call Christianity, I know, but they do have that name, mainstream Christianity, bows the knee to homosexuality and transgenderism. They're not going to be bothered. The authorities are not going to come after them. The government isn't going to interrupt their services. However, if you condemn those lifestyles, if you say that those lifestyles, they need to repent, you're going to be rejected and lawsuits are going to be brought against you. That's what's going to happen. And, and i got to tell you, folks, we know as an elder board that's going to happen to us. The slanderers are going to say, that church doesn't love... Folks, I probably love the homosexuals more than they do. But I love them because I want to see them saved and with my Lord and Savior in heaven for eternity. Because I see them as human beings and that they need salvation. I needed salvation 40 years ago. These slanderers may have been Jews ancestrally, you know, we could even say that. But Jesus says, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not. They cannot be because they do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Folks, the mainstream churches today don't believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They don't see him as Lord and Savior and that they need to bow the knee to him. It's gone. I mean, the history of those churches, some of them being very good to look at is the admonishment. And that was in our outline, but instead we now have the approval. That's the fourth characteristic. There is no admonishment here for the church because there is no weakness in this church. Jesus doesn't mention any weakness. Can you imagine that? Smyrna suffered as a church but remained faithful without this testing, throughout this testing. A result is that she, as a church, becomes more favored, more blessed by God. We see that in Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Folks, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to run out of time. So I'm going to just give you some verses rather than go. He's going to give them as the crown of life. Folks, it's not a crown up on the head. It's life that's eternal. And if you even use that word crown, it's more like a garland that they used to give for people in the Olympics and, the, and they would give them. That's what you get as, as a, a, a person uh, that's following Jesus Christ. But put down 2 Timothy 4.8 and look at that another time. 1 Peter 5, 4 says this, And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Folks, that's what we get. Do we deserve it? No, not on your life do we deserve it. We're sinners to the core, except saved by grace. Saved by grace. You see, the Lord will use this time of persecution or testing to refine and to grow your love for the Savior. I, I, I got to tell you, 
me persecution. God, give me trouble. Most of the people who come into my office want to get rid of their trouble. They want to know, how can I unload this? And I agree with them. I understand that. It's painful. But folks, he's saying that through that trouble, he's going to make you stronger. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Okay, that he's going to make you more perfect through those trials? Oh, yeah. Wow. I just made it through the last one. John 16, 33 says this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's Jesus' promise to us. He's, wish I had time, but we don't. Suffering helps remove impurities, folks. Did you, you understand that? Suffering removes impurities. What are some of the impurities that we have? Indifference, self-trust, self-rule, wrong values, wrong priorities. That's what he's trying to take away. That's what he's trying to erase from your life. Isn't that great? Uh, for me, that's great. That's what I like. Whenever we get into a problem, these human fallible minds begin to think, how bad can it get? We start, oh, poor me. What else can happen? This church is no different, but Jesus is telling them to stop. Don't even get started. Yes, things can, get, can happen. Things can get pretty terrible. I mean, it's like COVID hit. The world. And we ran out of toilet paper. <laughs> and I'm not trying to lessen the loss of life, folks, but that was pretty pathetic. You will have tribulation 10 days, he says. God will give you something you can handle. Remember that. He's never going to ever, ever give you something you cannot handle. Because he's given you that trial, and he's going to take that trial away at the same time. Philippians. Go, let's go back to Philippians 2 and a, a 3, where, which I mentioned before. I said Philippians 3, 10 before, but if you go on, I, I love what Paul says here in Philippians 3, 12. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold. Paul was stoned. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. Paul was uh, rejected. Paul was left out in the dark and the, at night and all of these kinds of things. And what does he say? I don't, I'm not worried about those things. I press on to the goal. Some of you have some rough lives. Some of you have some very difficult things that are going on. I know, because you've talked to me about them. Press on. Press on. So, Jesus gives some encouragement here. But with that encouragement of saying not to fear, he said, behold. Behold, this is a warning, but the tribulation is only going to last 10 days. Now, folks... I don't think it's going to be just 10 days. I think that's a euphemism for it could be a long period of time. It's like my granddaughter today is going to uh, recite 10 verses that she has memorized, and she's going to get 100 bucks out of me for that. 
for a missions project at her church. But 10 is a complete number. The second encouragement here is to be faithful. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Folks, for some of us, it's closer than others, but you know what? For those who are young, you don't know how long you have. You have no clue. A better conclusion is that faithfulness begets the crown of life. This is much like what we studied last week. Remember, last week we had the promise of the tree of life over there in the book of uh, of the letter to Ephesus. You have the tree of life. Here you get the crown of life. Faithfulness to stay at the church doesn't get you eternal life. But it proves something, and it could give assurance, but your eternal life only comes as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. There's one more element here, and I am running a little late, but I'm going to finish this up. The fifth element says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The fifth characteristic is the appeal. Folks, this is a command to listen. And last week I went through a, a few things about listening when you have preaching going on. There's a book out called Expository Listening by Ken Ramey, a dear friend of mine. That's the way to listen to preaching. Even this exceptional church is still urged. Well, Grace Community Church believes this. I don't care what Grace Community Church believes. What do you believe and what does the Bible say? You can jot down Jeremiah 5.21 and look at that. You see, one thing I do know, repetition is known as the best teacher. And for all those who are hard of hearing, Jesus repeats this seven times. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There must be a reason he repeats it over and over again. There must be a reason. And here's a sixth characteristic, the affirmation. We say that in 2.11. It says, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Years ago, I heard this story about what happened in a Roman arena when this family was cast into the arena and the lions were families when they were going to have them killed. The emperor had these hungry lions that would go in there in the arena and they'd eat the Christians. This child said to his father, is this going to hurt? Is this going to hurt? The father got down on level with the son and they looked at him in the eyes and he said, only for a swift moment. Only for a swift moment. He also said that death, though it was a sting, is only going to hurt for a short while and then you have the reward of eternal life. Folks, what we have here on earth is a short while. He lived 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. That's a lot. Seems like that's not even eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. My, My heart, your heart should be, I cannot wait. 
I cannot wait to be home with the Lord. Because this world is not offering me anything of value except the scriptures. Beloved, this message to the Smyrnian church is real. There are no corrections here to the church. There are no chastisements here to the church. But the bleak reality is that this can happen at any time in any place. As I said about Russia, no, they don't have everything taken away from them yet. But the Americans aren't able to go in there anymore. It's going to continue as it was. I used to go to Ukraine. I've been there seven times. The church there isn't what it used to be. But you know what? It's growing there. They have 100 men in the seminary. That's the largest group. When I went there, I I would have 30 guys. Now they have 100. Why? They're under persecution. They're under this pressure because they're realizing it's coming to an end. What if it happened in America? You see, folks, stand up for Christ. Stand up for uh, for the Scriptures. Don't slink away in unfaithfulness. Lots of people in the church will slink away. But don't give yourself that opportunity. Keep pressing forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. I see people waiting outside. Father, you have given us your word. You have given us your promises and everything, Lord, that's in those promises we hold dear. Lord God, I pray for this group of people here that you would continue to grow them to be the people of God that you want them to be. I pray this in your name. Amen.